0: everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. Uh, I have a real special treat for you today. We're going to be talking about a comic that came out from Vertigo a few years ago. We were big fans. We reviewed every issue, broke them down in uh, detail. And we have the writer of that series, Rob Sheridan, joining us today to talk about High Level. Rob, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, like I said, we were were big fans of of High Level, uh, came out from Vertigo, and, uh, interesting that, you know, you have, you went to art school, you have a background in, in graphic design, if anybody who follows you on Twitter knows how much you're kind of focused on the visuals, uh, but you actually are the writer on this series, which I found to be, uh, just fascinating and a, and a great world that you, uh, that you created for any of our listeners who may not be familiar with high level, uh, why don't you give us the elevator pitch? What in your mind, what's the series about? <laughs> um, we, we
1: kind of wanted to envision a, a world that, that is post, post apocalyptic, you know, it's looking way down hundreds of years into the future after everything has already collapsed and rebuilt in a different way. And it's, uh, it's a journey of a woman who, um, who has to find herself to get involved with something that could possibly, um, save the world but and could also possibly along the way open up uh, um, a whole lot of dark secrets behind how the world came to be the way it is and it's uh, it's a lot of ways a parable for right now and it's a lot about um the kind of structures of control that that keep us in place and keep us repeating the same cycles and and about breaking through those and it, it's that's kind of told through this one woman's journey but also through the the world around uh, her that begins to reveal itself and then become impacted and and uh i can't say anything more than that because there's there's still a lot to come in the series
0: yeah we, we only got the, the first half of the story uh more to come obviously we know D- dc shuttered um, or at more accurately shuttered vertigo. We'll, we'll talk about that um, a little bit later, but I, I wanted to follow up on something you just said there about it being a, a parable for kind of the now, you know, the, the real world and things we're living in and, and things we're dealing with, because I, a lot of that is inherent in, in the story and it very much is a science fiction story and science fiction is so good at reflecting class and the haves and the have-nots and, and some of the, the societal issues that we face now. This book came out before the current madness of the pandemic. Um, and I recently, because I knew I was finally going to have you on to talk about it, I recently reread it. And, and what struck me was how your story is in a lot of ways even more relevant with, with what's been going on with the pandemic and the lockdowns and, again, the haves and the have-nots. Um, so have you felt that, like reflecting back on it? And is there anything that you will... It when it comes time to finish the story, is there anything that you'll kind of push the envelope because now all of a sudden life has gotten closer to the actual fiction that you created?
1: <laughs> I I think the reason it it, it might um, you know resonate more now or 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 at least still resonate um, thematically is because the themes that I was drawing on are are really deeply systemic themes and and the commentary is is getting at. Deeply systemic problems with the way everything in our um, in our capitalist society is structured, and what the what the pandemic did was really shine a light on all of that and not so much create um, new disparities but really show us very clearly the ones that were already there so so everything I was kind of already talking about in high level is is magnified now and it's really been exposed, I think, and hope, for a lot of people who who weren't seeing it clearly before. I mean I mean there's some really stark examples um that have come up during the pandemic that I hope are opening some eyes and um you know if we can get some kind of silver lining out of this this misery, um it might be, you know, to that some people see the flaws in the way we've been doing things. And I, you know, in terms of pushing the envelope going forward, I think I, you know, I definitely will, I'll probably definitely kick up some themes to 11 in the second half. Um, You know, the story's been planned out since the beginning, but, you know, coming back into this at whatever point I will, through fresh eyes and through another, you know, several years of um, unimaginable (laughs) shit going on in the world, I think uh, there'll definitely be some some tweaks made to to really push it harder than ever before. I mean, the the thing with high level is that what you've read so far is is kind of hinting at some larger things, but a lot of it was a tour of the world and and an introduction of characters and the whole setup, and then it was going to get really kind of thematic and out there in the in the next part of it. So I'm looking forward to the opportunity to. To really see see where my head's at when I reapproach all that,
0: yeah, I think in a, in a lot of ways when I reread it, um, I r- really sort of feel like issue six is where your story really started. You know, like you said, it, one through five, let's introduce the characters, let's let's you know f- actually get to high level um, and see what's going on and, and how the wool's kind of been pulled over everybody's eyes, and then you know in, in six, right at the end when thirteen actually you know gets there that's when it's like wait this is a completely different story than than we thought it was and I can't you know I can't wait to see where where it goes so uh hopefully you're going to get a chance to do that yeah. like you're you're committed to to finishing the story for sure oh definitely I mean the, so much so much time
1: and, and and thought was put into the world building that was all setting up to to this larger story and I think I think you uh you nailed it really it's 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 the I mean that's kind of the that's kind of the last line of issue six hinting at this is where it all actually begins now mm-hmm. um in a sense and all of that all that stuff that happened in the in the first six issues was it mean it wasn't just set up it, there was a lot of um development that that happened along the way to to get to what has to happen but um I always viewed it as kind of the um kind of the Introductory kind of road trip adventure that that brought you into this world, and then uh, and and gave you a set of expectations that then uh, go on get turned on their head, and then the real story begins.
0: Yeah, well, the other thing that uh, excuse me that you really did was you made us care about the the characters, and there there's an interaction um, between uh, thirteen and Minnow at at one point where Minnow wants to get a little like cutesy Uh, hat. Sorry, should, should I just should I just say
1: right now that we're going to have this conversation under the assumption that people
0: listening have read it already? In terms yeah, of spoilers? yeah, yeah, yeah. Spo- yeah. I mean, it's, OK, cool. It's two years, yeah. Two years old at this point. And like I said, most of the people that are listening have listened to our breakdown. So uh, but yes, uh, no, cool. no, we're not worried about uh, about spoilers. But but like I was saying, uh, yeah, the scene where Minnow gets the hat and um even tells 13, you know, you're not as hard as you pretend to be. You do care about people. Um, so the, the other part of, of, you know, the, the entire first six issues here that you did, you know, even though still a long way to go and and kind of the nitty gritty of the story to come, um, we, you still took 13 on a, on a journey. Like she, she evolved as a, as a character, she learned a lot about herself that maybe other people like Minnow saying, you know, could see like, Hey, you do care about other people. Maybe 13 didn't have that own self-awareness. At the beginning of the journey, but it feels like she did once she got to high level yeah and and that's um that's kind of like
1: when I talk about like the the kind of dual levels of of themes in the story, there's this personal level um which is expressed in thirteenth character, and then there's this kind of larger systemic political world level which is which is told to the story of the world and they they kind of intersect around the idea that you know you can't we can't change anything we can't fix anything until we we start caring about other people and this kind of this kind of selfish only caring about yourself every man for himself approach is what drives these these systems of inequity and until we start having empathy until we start actually looking at the world around us and not just living in our own little comfort bubble. Um, none of this is ever going to change. So, so thirteen goes through that journey uh, at the beginning, and that's kind of the road that she'll be on, which is kind of reflective of the changes we all need to make to to create a better system.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a valuable valuable lesson. And again, like long time listeners of my podcast will know, I, I talk about it all the time. It's the it's the value in the stories, right? I think there's so much you can understand about a society. If you look at the, the fictions that they create, what, what's important to them? Well, let's look at the, the stories that they, they tell, you know, their make believe uh, and, and where they explore what is important to them and high level certainly does that. Yeah. And I wanted to, you know,
1: I, I wanted to make a, a kind of dystopian world that wasn't dystopian. Like I, I was, I, I came into this after doing very, Dystopian story with Nine Inch Nails for the, their Year Zero project. And, um, I, you know, that was the same type of thing. It was science fiction that was very much a commentary on where things were at the time, uh, at that time in, in the Bush administration. And I wanted to do something like that, but steer away from dystopia and see if I could talk about our very dystopian present and future in a way that was focused a bit more on uh, growth and change and ultimately revolution. And so I wanted it to have a a, a lot of, of dark elements that ultimately had this kind of, I don't want to say positive, but you know, forward looking uh, kind of undercurrent to it. So it wasn't just doom and gloom and and
0: there's something pushing forward uh, some some light at the end of the tunnel, perhaps. Yeah, well, I think on that level you succeeded because I would say there's a lot of apocalyptic stories where it, it feels like the world that the characters are inhabiting are are kind of winding down, as opposed to high level, which always feels like it's building towards something. You, even the characters, you know, in the first half of the story here, where they're they're looking toward a goal, you know. So I really feel like the story you're telling is is building towards something rather than inhabiting a world that's that's winding down where everybody just is kind of uh resigned to their fate so to speak
1: yeah and and that was kind of the fun for me of doing a post post post-apocalyptic story it was we're we're living in a time of of decline and collapse Mm -hmm. and so you know telling a story about a civilization in in decline and collapse was a little too on the nose and frankly not something that. Is fun to to mm-hmm. you know dive into as escapism at, at the moment at least for me. So so talking about um, a post post apocalyptic world that is all the collapse has already happened and something else has been rebuilt in its place allows it to feel uh, you know like a whole new world and and like you said have that moving forward trajectory but also allows the kind of commentary of like what mistakes were made in allowing this new world to be created the way that it was and what parables are that are there for how our society is structured.
0: Right. Exactly. Now uh, we did mention that only the first half of the story, uh 18th, he bought DC, <laughs> DC comics, bad timing for you uh, and, and bad timing for all of us fans of, of high level, they shuttered vertigo. Um, and so it's been kind of in limbo because it, uh, my understanding is DC Comics, at t the, the kind of corporate overlords st- still own the rights. So are you just in a holding pattern until the rights come back? Um, are you looking to maybe self-publish or, or take it to another publisher?
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we really got the raw end of the at t deal because um, we were the last of the, of the new original titles that were, still publishing when when that deal happened and all of the support uh we, you know it, everyone at the vertigo team that signed me as part of the vertigo revival they were all great it was, it was an awesome team there was a lot of excitement and optimism and by the time you know, i was the last of the new titles um, to come out and by the time high level was currently running and the at collapse came in all those people got moved or laid off or they quit. I mean, it was just a it was a just really destructive force when they came in and said the goes done and mm. the comic was left with no support whatsoever and no one who was involved in its launch still there. And by the time the graphic novel came out, I didn't even know anyone who was working at D C A more and no one there even remembered High Level. I mean the book was kind of released as a contractual obligation, but they mm-hmm. didn't give it any marketing or support or anything. So our, our collected edition came out in February, 2020 uh, with no marketing or support. And I don't know if you were around, but there was something that started happening around February, 2020 that kind of took uh, a lot of people's attention away. Yeah, sure way. Did. sure did, did. I was having terrible so, luck with this book. So it was kind of... It was kind of just, just me on, on social media being like, Hey guys, I have a book. Anybody, anybody want a book? <laughs> um, so that was, um, that was a strange journey to go on from this like really exciting, promising relaunch of, of vertigo into just, Oh, the the new corporate overlords are here and, and fuck all this stuff. We're going to do right. Batman. <laughs> so, and it happened to mad magazine too. And, and it's just, a it's a, it's a terrible theme running through running through media properties right now with these giant corporations who only really care about valuation and IP, and they just sweep in and say, we're going to go with these things that make money, and they don't know anything about about comics or any of this stuff. So it's been frustrating yeah, on that level, but we did get to finish the first six issues. We put out an amazing graphic novel collection, and it's awesome to have this out there, and the people who read it loved it. So. I'm really, really enthusiastic about the future for it. But right now, it is uh, it is held up in the IP vault of Warner Brothers. And um, the best that could mean is that they could be fishing around for movie and TV opportunities for it. And the worst it could mean is that it sits for another three years where I'm not able to do anything with it. So we'll see what happens. But as soon as I can get it back, I will take it to a different label or self-published or something like that for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, you do have you, your previous career, you know, we mentioned graphic designer, you mentioned nine inch nails, you've done some really groundbreaking stuff. I, I love your aesthetic, you know, the whole VHS CRT I'm, I'm a kid of the eighties too, you know? So um, I, I love yeah. that. And, and I love your presence on social media and, and you do have a, a following you. And, and that's the other thing. And and why we were promoting this book because you do have that following that's sort of outside of comics, but you clearly have a love for comics, too. You're the kind of creator that can bring people to comics. And, and you know, our our whole thing at the Comic Source is wanting to, to just we believe that there's a comic book out there for everybody. Everybody's a comic lover that you just need to match up the right person to the right comic and you have a, a fan for life. High Level is one of those type of books that shows the, the power of the medium. So, you know, even though things kind of fell apart, bad timing, bad luck, whatever you want to call it, it really did seem like. You were saying how everybody that read it, everybody I talked to, everybody that responded to the episodes we put out about high level, it really seemed well received, and it, it was almost like there was a community building up around it. So from from that standpoint, from the standpoint of, of community and fan response, do you feel like it was a big success?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean it was it was an absolute blast to to work on and put out in the world and and um, to your point of, of there's a comic for everybody, I was, you know, I came up uh, as a kid reading comics, uh, read comics all through the 80s and 90s and and they were a huge influence on me. And, you know, if you asked me, you know, when I was a teenager, something that was on my bucket list to do, having a Vertigo comic would would have been something I would have said. So mm. it was a dream come true for me. But um, I know that a lot of my audience and, and my fan base, since then, has has been a a fan base that isn't a comics audience, really. And I have always felt that, you know, with the with the newfound popularity of genre media over the last ten to twenty years, whether it be Game of Thrones or, or the MCU or, or any of these super mainstream things mm-hmm. that. Are at their core these very nerdy things, which would have been, which would have been only for the nerds when I was growing up, and right. now they're for everybody. But that that's made me feel like more than ever, there's an audience out there who are comic readers and they don't know it yet, right. you know. And so I I wanted to make a comic that was for people who love sci-fi movies and, you know, 80s cyberpunk movies and um, and give it a very cinematic uh, adventure uh, kind of tone to it, at, at least for the first kind of six issues, that's something that's very readable and very cinematic that anyone could get into,
0: even if they're not into comics. Yeah, and there's plenty of fun moments too, like blowing up a giant tank of poo for the people that are chasing <laughs> yeah
1: yeah it it was also one of those things where it's like hey they're they're letting me they're letting me write a, a a vertigo comic and i can make it anything i want yeah you know i don't know if i'll write another one i'm gonna throw everything i want into this damn thing i'm gonna cram these pages with with um mutants and and robots and and explosions and all uh, you know, every hover bikes, every damn thing I can just because it's fun, you know. And I think I think a lot of the people um who are in my kind of community and fan base, a lot of them grew up watching and loving all the same movies and, and media and and in some cases comics that I did. And I think um people like that have found a lot of of, of references and, and themes in there that they love. So it's it's really been a lot of fun, and um, it, it's been a little frustrating because the question asked over and over again is, well, what's next? Yeah. When do I get to read more? Yeah. And I don't have an answer yet. But one thing I did do recently because um, because the the conversation came up about where the rights are at, and I, I kind of dug into that with Warner Brothers at, only to find out that they – you know, I I was asking to see if they would perhaps release the rights back to Mm -hmm. me
0: early. Yeah. Which they um, do do sometimes.
1: They do do sometimes. And in this case, the answer was no, we are currently, you know, it's in our pool of consideration for movie and TV uh, options, which is great to hear, but I'm totally out of the loop on that. So I have no idea if it's, you know, if it's a thing that's going to happen or not. Um, But it made me, um, go back to the materials and kind of lay out what the rest of it would look like. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if, if anything came up in terms of TV or movies, I just wanted to make sure that there was a kind of concise document uh, with the vision of where it was going to go after issue six. And that returned me to kind of the original plan, which was a, a, a three part trilogy, 18 issue arc. And it was really fun you know spending a moment in that world and laying that all out again so the the plans are there it's it's ready <laughs> just just waiting for some kind of green light from some direction uh, saying we can do it or or if not then uh, i'll do it myself as soon as i can
0: yeah well what, uh, one way or another you know I, I i can't wait for it for it to come back and i, I know a lot of your uh, a lot of your fans feel the same way um one of the other things that's, that's in the book, you know, you mentioned putting in all these, these Easter eggs and references to things from the eighties the and whatnot. Um, a little bit of something that, that kind of crosses over with your, your work with like nine inch nails and whatnot. And that's the symbology, you know, I love when you guys do those like concept type albums, you know, it reminds me of the, the old school rush type stuff, you know, like what is it? twenty one mm-hmm. twenty that they do and that stuff. Um, and the symbology is always so important, but, it's not like it's not spoon fed to the fans, right? They're they're little they're little Easter eggs. It requires a little work for you to to kind of understand, you know, what the symbols mean and and whatnot. And we haven't gotten the whole story of of high level, so we may not have all the answers yet. But like I look at that that symbol, like that's on the cover of uh, I think it's issue number five, you know, with the arrows radiating out. We saw a, just a hand. We don't know who who it belongs to that had that symbol on the back of it. Um, talk a little bit about coming up with the symbology. Um, for the book and how Im- important it was to tie into the aesthetic of the world that you and uh, Barnaby built yeah I mean the the thing with me is um you
1: know coming into this uh as kind of my first um original published story project, the, the previous thing I worked on being something I I, I worked on collaboratively with Trent Reznor and Forty Two Entertainment. Um I I came from this kind of world of creating things for a, for a very rabid Nine Inch Nails fan base who looked at every detail and, and poured mm-hmm. over every message and right. and Year Zero in particular is something that was just filled with hidden details and, and clues and I'm also a you know a visual guy I'm a, I'm an art director and and designer so everything as I was writing out um, high level was very visual in my mind and. Barnaby was incredible to work with because he really understood all the things I was describing and, and brought into life in incredible ways. But through that process, I was also thinking about iconography and visual themes and, and identities and stuff like that. So when you talk about the symbols, they were things that I had you know, in the kind of documents from the beginning that we refined and were always meant to be alluding to bigger things. So you're absolutely right that, that those are important elements that were all, that were kind of part of the core design of the world building and of the story. Uh, and that that made it really fun to kind of do the marketing that I did for the book and do the soundtrack that we did and, mm-hmm. and put those visual elements into the design of the graphic novel. And they, they all mean something. All the little hints are, are hints to something else. Uh, The advantage of writing out the story, the whole thing ahead of time is we can drop all those clues and they will be satisfying later on.
0: Yeah. In in my mind and whether it's, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now or what have you, you know, big, like absolute size edition with the whole complete story and then back matter, maybe some of your scripts and and the symbology and, and, you know, you can talk about the different symbols, you know, just like a a high level Bible, you know, with everything that would be fantastic on my show. Yeah. (laughs) I'd love to have that. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it, it it's going to be a lot of fun to to kind of pick all that apart uh, eventually down the road, because, um, you know, as I said, it, nothing was put in there like flippantly. Right. It, it all Everything that kind of seems like, what is that, uh, is going to make some kind of sense or, or, or be referenced in a way that's meaningful later on. Um, so there were a lot of seeds planted along the way, which is something I've always loved doing. And creating little trailheads uh, yeah. that, that are satisfying in the end, and mm-hmm. and not just doing like throwing a mysterious thing in there because it seems fun and then never explaining it, you know.
0: Right. Yeah, it's the payoff that us us fans really uh, enjoy. And, and and you know, you mentioned building this with with Barnaby Bagenda, your artist, and the, obviously uh, Remulo Fardo Jr. who did the colors, absolutely fantastic. That's that's another thing. Let's talk about the colors for a second, um, because just like you were saying, post post apocalyptic, rather than a world that's winding down, building towards something. So often, if you 're talking about a post apocalyptic story, the colors are very muted or they're very dreary or they're very dark in a lot of ways high levels of a, a bright brightly covered book i mean look at like thirteen 's hair or or the the color of a minnow's kind of jumpsuit you know you really it's it's a bright world, yes, there's darkness in it, but really, this is a, a bright world, obviously, that was a conscious choice on on your part yeah, I mean um kind of
1: starting around. Uh, you know, I worked with Nine Inch Nails Visual Aesthetics for for so many years, most of my adult life, um, and Nine Inch Nails has a, has a lot of kind of like very recognizable traits in their visual um, presentations, and I was working in a very kind of murky uh, world of mm-hmm. grays and blues and browns and, and stuff like that. And for year zero, um, we had an appropriately dystopian color palette. Um, and when I um, when I started working on this other music project we did called How to Store Angels in 2012-2013 um, uh, for for the debut album, I that's when I started experimenting with uh, VHS CRT analog glitch art to create a kind of New look that that kind of fans of Nine Inch Nails, the kind of related band, could mm-hmm. kind of get into, but still felt like it had its own identity, and that led me down this kind of path of like exploring all these incredible colors that came out of the VHS glitching, and I turned that album, Welcome Oblivion, into a, a extremely colorful uh, kind of 2001 inspired vision of A kind of apocalyptic concept and ever since then i've just been really interested in bringing color to darkness um i've been really into this kind of rainbow death theme (laughs) you know just hyper colored skulls and 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 neon colored apocalypses and and so when it came to uh high level by that time i was more tired than ever of seeing grim gritty dystopian portrayals in movies where all the colors were gray fucking gray fucking gray shades of brown and and dim dim highlights and just uh, i really really wanted to see if there was a way to make this kind of post -post post-apocalyptic world filled with color and one of the fun things that that I developed in building the world was this idea that this future society, you know, is still kind of has built itself up from the relics of, of the old world. And a lot of it was like, especially in in 13th area in the Outlands, they've scavenged all this old stuff and repurposed it and put it back together. And that allowed us to kind of give everyone all these colorful clothes and styles, kind of like a, Thirteen's Village is kind of like a art car <laughs> of an right. aesthetic, where the, where it's um, just everything repurposed in interesting ways, and they've painted everything with bright colors, and and um, all of it is you know repurposed and recycled media from the old world. So that obviously gave me the ability to make it all feel kind of eighties and tactile and technology, um, because they they're not working with the technology of the future; they're working with what they can find
0: from the past. Yeah. It, again, it works on that level of, of making it feel like there's hope, you know, you're, they're, they're heading, they're heading towards something. Now uh, you did share some scripts on your, on your Patreon um, where you showed us. And, and I was blown away by, by how detailed, again, it goes to your art director background. And obviously you hadn't, this was your first comic you'd ever written, you know, you hadn't worked with Barnaby before. So a lot of unknowns, um, but what I'm curious about, I've never seen a, a script go into that level of detail in, in describing the aesthetic, but it makes total sense considering your background. Once you and Barnaby started building the world and, and developed some, some trust as the, uh, as the series went on, did you get to dial that back a little, uh, the detail in the script, or did you still stay like uh, just laser focused on exactly how you wanted it to, each panel to look? I definitely was able to dial it down
1: and and thankfully because you know you 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 simply when you're doing a monthly comic you can't spend <laughs> nearly as much time on the the subsequent issues that you're trying to trying to get out as as I had to spend on that first script mm-hmm. uh, and even the second and third scripts um were fairly detailed but as I as I began to um get a sense of of Barnaby and and his translation of the of the text um that became a a lot a a lot smoother process where he you know i I just knew if i described something in a certain way he would know what i was talking about and bring his own flair to it i think that that script that's on my patreon issue one Mm -hmm. is probably the nightmare of a lot of artists (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh my god this guy this, this guy describes everything but um you know i i it's hard for me not to. I, I, you know, I'm a visual guy. I see it all in my head, and so I'm, I'm very lucky that that we found Barnaby, who is um, the type of artist who really likes to to dig into all of that stuff, and then bring it to life, you know, still in his own way. And and all he, you know, all he did was add to what I'd written and then bring something new to it. So it it really was a smooth collaboration, and and definitely made the uh, subsequent scripts easier
0: yeah and, and you know I don't I don't again I don't blame you not knowing your your background of course you're going to be that detailed but the other part of it is something that you said earlier you know about putting everything in the story if, if this is your only shot you know if it's a bucket list thing if this is your only shot man how horrible would it be if it came <laughs> yeah. out the way you pictured it in your head so you know
1: you gotta get yeah. right and and that was that was something that I was, you know, of course, worried about. Like a, as, a, as an art director and a, and a visual guy who'd just been imagining various parts of this world for many years, you know, to to have to kind of hand it off to an artist that you've never worked with and and not be sure how it was going to turn out. Um, I'm grateful that we had a lot of time to find the right artist and to and to go back and forth with concept sketches with, with Barnaby. And the other thing that gave me a lot of confidence um, in it was seeing the previous work that Barnaby and Romulo had done together. And they're kind of like a a really unique team. Um, Mm -hmm. Barnaby only doing pencils and Romulo doing colors and there's no inker in between. So Rom colors directly on top of Barnaby's pencils. And it gives it this really unique painterly look that, I saw examples of in their previous work and especially the way Ron uses color. I mean, he's someone that you can say, Hey, this is a really drab, dreary scene, and he still finds a way to put a ton of color into it. Mm-hmm. So that was that really matched with with my vision of this like colorful dystopian world. And so there were times when it was like he was finding ways to bring color into panels that I hadn't even imagined being so colorful, and it was really, really cool to, to watch it all come to life. I mean, it was, it was the best case dream scenario for me in terms of getting pages back and being like, oh my God, that looks so cool. You know, I was just, right. just constantly like constantly running to my wife with new emails when, when the pages were coming in. Look at this. And it, was, it was really, it was really awesome. It's like seeing, seeing your baby like grow up, you know, just, just so cool.
0: Yeah, fantastic. That, that see, that's Rom's uh, thirty years of experience as a as a color artist doing comics that that shows through. I mean, yeah, he's he's definitely fantastic. Obviously, your, your preference would be when you come back to do, and you know, you never know what people's schedules are going to be like, and and obviously, everything's up in the air with the rights. But I imagine your preference would have to be doing the second volume to bring Barnaby and and, and Rom back, right? Oh yeah, if it's um, if it's something where
1: where I'm able to do it, um, you know, with a smaller label or self-publish or something, I would want to do them as graphic novels this time around and Mm -hmm. give, give Rom and Barnaby uh, the time to, to kind of flesh it out uh, as, as kind of elaborately as they wanted, assuming they're interested. Um, I know Barnaby uh, kind of, has moved away from comics a little bit, but he was always very enthusiastic about high level. So I'm hoping, hoping he would uh, want to continue. And one of the things with him is that he, the, the monthly schedule was, was just getting too overwhelming mm. um, for what was, for what was going on in his life and in his style of art. And we had to have some other thankfully great artists come in and fill in on some of the issues. So I would love to, be able to do a graphic novel with a long time frame where, where Barnaby felt he was able to, you know, put in as much time as he wanted uh, on, on each uh, chapter, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I, I I agree. And, and, and that's, what's great about, about um, kind of the landscape now. And it, it even was sort of changing when you, when you came in to do it and, and, you know, not that Vertigo, you know, there's so much, legacy with that name and so much history with that name and and for high level to have that that you know logo on there is 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 something special but at the same time even then the the landscape was shifting more toward some smaller publishers um and then with the pandemic pencils down for a lot of people we saw a lot of self-publishing through kickstarter and indiegogo and, and now zoop um so i feel like i mean there's a lot of Avenues, and I, I, I imagine you would get tremendous support because, as you mentioned earlier, you, you still have a lot of uh, fans and followers that probably periodically ask, "Hey, when, when's High Level coming back?" Right?
1: Yeah, and I, I haven't really done any kind of like, you know, podcasts or interviews or anything like that um, over the last year because, yeah, I just I haven't known what to say <laughs> <laughs> yet to that to that question, and I've I was kind of hoping to be able to have an answer. Um, uh, you know, sometime soon. And then just kind of recently I found out that um, they are indeed holding on to the rights for a while. So I figured I would at least, uh, at least come here and give you the update that there is no update. Well, officially but but, but, no, but you, you but, did give but, us some, um,
0: some, you did give us some good information, you know, j- just the fact that we know you've asked for the rights back and they've said no, because they're shopping it as other media. That's cool but we also know you you know that you're committed you're you know you're saying it right here on on the podcast hey you're committed to doing this you know it will see the light of day you know god willing at some point i think that's that's good information that you can share with your with your fans
1: yeah for sure i mean if it if it's if it's 10 years from now and i do it as a kickstarter and only the people who support it the kickstarter are the ones the only people who ever read it that's fine with me. This thing is mm-hmm. like, you know, just putting something half finished out in the world is just like itches at my brain because <laughs> it, I just, like, I, I know, I know the, the rest of the story is there, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, if it was something I was just winging, you know, and I'd, I'd right. been like, oh, we got the six issues, but oh, good, now right. I don't have to think about what happens next. And, yeah, you know what, screw it, move on to the next thing. But right. because that wasn't the case at all um, and and I do have uh, so much more uh, to, to to say, uh, it just really is something that's never going to stop uh, nagging at my brain <laughs> to finish. So, obviously, moving TV uh, opportunities would be amazing and would uh, be a great um, kind of fire underneath the project where we'd be able to finish the story. But if it's uh, if it's just me and and I can take it somewhere else. I'd love to do graphic novels. I always felt it was a graphic novel audience, mm-hmm. um, you know? And so that was kind of, when we were putting out individual issues, it was kind of hard to talk to my audience. And and that kind of, to me, highlighted a lot of, a lot of problems with why people don't get into comics, was right. trying to communicate with them how the single issue system worked and direct market and all that. And I was kind of waiting, knowing that, you know, a lot of these people are people who will perhaps pick up a trade paperback at the bookstore, but don't, you know, go into comic shops every month and, and read individual issues. Um, so I, I was excited about the book coming out. And thankfully, um, even though, you know, DC didn't do anything for it, I was able to get a bunch of copies and sell them from uh, directly from my store and get a lot of people, you know, who hadn't checked out the book yet to check it out through that. So it, it's, it's great that, that we did manage to get that graphic novel out and I'm excited to put more. Yeah and you,
0: and you got to do the, the soundtrack with it but but yeah I mean you and you're right I mean I live in the world of comics and when I explain it to people I'm like okay no wait you got to understand you got to order it 2 months ahead of time before it's even actually made and then hope that it actually does get yeah. made and then and then hope that it shows up on time and then you can get it they're like wait wait what what kind of model is that and then for the direct for the actual comic retailers yeah they've got to pay for it and then hope they can sell it to get their money back like what what yeah it's,
1: it's crazy and then and then and then you you know when you've got an audience that's that's accustomed to binge watching consumption yeah okay here's 22 pages that you breeze through in 10 minutes now wait a month
0: okay yeah <laughs> yep. and so, you half the time, um, if you're like me and you read as many comics as i do they're like wait what happened last month i gotta go flip back yeah to the last yeah
1: yeah definitely yeah so it, it you know it um it wasn't it wasn't really the story for for that kind of format. but on the other hand, it did really push me to write it in an episodic format, mm-hmm. which I think was really advantageous to the pacing of the story, and right. was a lot of fun to to really break it down into individual issues. And that's something that, even if we do future installments as graphic novels, I think I really want to hold on to that episodic structure because. And, and I, the way I've plotted it out as an 18-issue arc is is very much in uh, distinct chapters. So so whether it's individual issues physically or not, they will kind of feel like individual issues
0: uh, as you read the rest of the story. You know, I'm glad you brought brought and up that idea the, of... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Rob. Oh, no, continue. It's okay. I was going to say, uh, I'm glad you brought up that idea of, of pacing because, you know, having been a, a comic reader for about 45 years now, um, and, and seen many people come in and, and do their first comic, the hardest thing to get right as a new comic writer is the pacing. It, it, and, and it's something that a lot of people who are casual readers, they're like, I don't really like that, but they can't necessarily pinpoint what, what isn't working for them. And oftentimes it's, it's the pacing. You know, It's too slow. They lose interest or everything's crammed together and you can't follow the narrative. You, really, I got to congratulate you as as a as a you know first time comic writer. Right from issue one, you did nail that pacing. Did, did it take? A, was that a lot of work? Was that a challenge to go back and like rewrite and make sure you were getting that pacing correct?
1: Uh, it definitely was at the beginning um, because I had you know you, you saw the um, you saw the script of, of issue mm-hmm. one, and that was that was whittled down from from much, much longer version. Um, you know, I had so much, um, story to tell in such a, in such a dense world that I wanted to put on the page that, um, I, I, the crushing reality of 22 pages, um, really slapped me in the face. And I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, there is, you really have to tighten everything up and so much needs to be cut. So, you know, that first issue, um, thankfully we had a lot of, um, a lot of lead time to refine and, and work on that, which was great for me as a, as a first time comics writer, but I brought a lot of the um, narrative understanding that I'd developed over the years in the, in the kind of visual arts world mm-hmm. where a lot of what we did was, was always structured with a narrative in mind. And when you're doing live productions of, of tours, you're always thinking about the audience's attention and the kind of ups and downs of, the narrative of a show and right. there's there's so much that we learned through all those years doing um nails projects and live shows and year zero and and stuff like that that I could take into the kind of understanding of of narrative storytelling but really it was um it was my my editor Andy Corey uh who's incredible and brought me on to this to this whole thing he was working at DC and um was involved in the relaunch of Vertigo and he reached out to me and said you know I love what you did with year 0 would you be interested in maybe doing a comic and I was like yes <laughs> so <laughs> he was a great guide for me in kind of trimming the story and and pacing it just right but um the kind of the the way that each uh, each episode kind of flowed was was very much there from the beginning. It was just about taking it way down to the to kind of bones of what it needed to be to keep moving. And it's a much, much faster-paced uh, six issues than I perhaps imagined with the reality of 22-page structure coming in. But it, but I'm really glad for it. It, it, really, it really makes it a fun, breezy read for people who aren't into comics and makes it feel cinematic. So I'm, I'm really happy with how you know how our streamlined story came out
0: yeah well what it what it, the other thing that it does is it, it allows you to to have the story beats that are important you know really land as opposed to if it was more of a kind of a meandering storyline if the journey that that minnow and 13 are on to, to you know to get to high level take took longer you know you might have had room for more character moments but you know then you are you're losing sort of the um the urgency of, of this journey that they're on. So I think it, it worked very well. And again, I have to, I have to congratulate you on the pacing and, and for one thing I'll say about Andy. Uh, yeah. He's, he's fantastic. Uh, I think when he, when I heard he was leaving DCA, I was like, well, that's, that's a mistake, <laughs> but you know, yeah. Big business, yeah. One,
1: yeah, a lot, a lot of good people uh, were were lost in that uh, that hostile takeover, yeah. and now, of course, AT&T's like, oh, whoops, we didn't know what to do with this. Yeah. We we're gonna yeah. uh, dump it off somewhere else. Yeah. Jeez. Well, um, as soon as it as but, soon as it was announced,
0: but, as soon as it was announced that AT and I mean, way back, you know, and it had to have years of of regulatory approvals, or whatever. But as soon as it was announced that AT AT&T and T and Bart Warner Brothers, I, I was like, oh, this is gonna hurt DC Comics. Like, I, I, you just knew it. You saw the writing on the wall. So. It is yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it, it, it sucks. Cause I, you know, I, for, for any, you know, frustrations and, and complaints I'll have about what was done to um, Vertigo. None of those are about the people at DC. Everyone that I worked with there was incredible and, mm-hmm. and just, just believed in making cool stuff. And that's why it was, it was so it was so shitty to watch so many of them get just kind of tossed aside or yep. moved around or, or put in a place where they felt like they had to leave because they, they were all fantastically committed, uh, of people who want to make good comics above all else. So I hope, um, you know, I hope that, uh, that the, you know, dumping off by AT&T will, will only improve things in the future, but but yeah, um, getting back to the story for a minute, though, um, you know, you mentioned character moments, and and those were the kind of things that, as we were, you know, trimming things down and, and getting, like you said, to the important beats, uh, uh, there were times when it was kind of like, damn, you know, all this stuff needs to happen to get them to where they need to go. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I just don't, I don't have those little like empty spaces to kind of, you know, get meditative with the characters and. I made sure to carve some out so that they're Mm -hmm. in there. And I was kind of wishing that there were more as we were going, but looking back on it, you know, when all was said and done, it's like, yeah, we could have had more of that. But what we have is, is the kind of really exciting, um, this kind of really exciting adventure story that gets us to where we need to go. And, and just enough of the character stuff in there to kind of uh, bring them to life and, and make you care and see their, their progress. So I think we found the right balance in the end, but that was something that I was worried about as we were going through that we, that we didn't have enough of that kind of meandering space to, to just sit with some things, you know, but in the end it worked.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, the the character moment with 13 at the end of the first issue where she's playing with the marionette is fantastic, but, but that's the other thing, you know, the, they are there, but, you know, there may be fewer than you would have liked, but but again, they hit harder because there are fewer of them. At least I, as a reader, took more yeah. of them.
1: Yeah, you know, and I, and that was, um, granted. that was that was yeah that was some excellent uh, editing work from Andy too, where he helped me say, you know, this is all great stuff, but we've got one page for this. So, mm-hmm. what's the most important takeaway from this character scene? What is the most you know urgent thing to communicate to people about this character and we were really able to get to like you said impactful moments that mm-hmm. told you uh, about these people as we went along and um and uh you know uh, i i knew it was working as we were going because getting getting to around issue four or five i i was like oh man I'm really attached to Minnow and so is everyone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, I, and I knew what, what was coming in the story. Yep. Um, and I was like, Oh man, I, am I going to have to go back on that? Like, no, 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 no. I have to, it has to go where it has to go. I mean, this was all done for a reason, including, right. you know, make, making, Minnow you uh, the the kind of character people got attached to that she was so, uh, that's when I knew it was being effective to, that I didn't even want to continue on the same path, but uh, it, it all had to happen for a reason.
0: Yeah, great point. Yeah, I kept being like, no, this can't really be happening. She can't be sacrificed. No, what? what? No, like I kept waiting. I'm going to keep reading because it's got to be a fake, right? But no, you really, you really, (laughs) Uh, when that, when that hit, I mean, what was the, uh, what was the reader reaction? Like on social media and whatnot, people like, no, I, I, you know, I think because um, I
1: think because of the pacing of the story and because we, we just had some kind of, you know, kind of twists and, 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 things not being what they seemed i think there was always this well we know this isn't the end so you know <laughs> that was probably yeah, there's something's saying, gonna happen when yeah. she comes back yeah. you know like there like no one really wanted to it, with 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 no subsequent issue coming out right away no one really wanted to deal with it to say well, we're just gonna wait and see because yeah <laughs> cause they, they didn't want to <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And obviously, I'm not going to say what happens next, <laughs> so oh, well, everyone can just continue thinking yeah. what they want to think. Yeah. But um, um, yeah, when, one one thing, one of the things about um, Vertigo shutting down was, um, by the time we got to issue six, was that had already happened, and we knew that there was not going to be an issue seven mm-hmm. um, at, at Vertigo. Yeah. So, so that led to You know, discussions, obviously there was some pressure that was coming down on me uh, to wrap it up, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was like, you guys, I pitched you an an 18 issue story. And we've been telling this as the first third of that. You can't, there's nothing to wrap up here. I'm not going to do it. I'm just simply not going to end this. There's no possible way. It doesn't, it's not even a consideration. Yeah. So the one concession we made is originally issue six was supposed to end with 13 walking in a high level and it's empty. Then it's that scene yeah. of her going in, there's nobody here and you see this empty city and that's it. Right. And that was the, that was the closing moment of that. And then you see, you know, starting with issue seven, what happens there. So they, you know, to, to kind of give it, give the book some kind of like, I thought of it kind of like the, um, you know, the ending of, of Star Wars Episode Four, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's Episode Four. It's going to continue, but it has a kind of like mini ending, you right. know, yep. where they do the little celebration. You know, the Death Star blew up. Okay, here's your awards, but nothing is resolved, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so giving her a kind of minute to be in high level and kind of say goodbye to, to Minnow and then have this strange encounter that hinted at more to come was something that that we wrote in to kind of give the graphic novel a a tiny bit of closure,
0: even though it answered nothing at all. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is that last page, I mean, Barnaby did such a good job of like the 13's pissed, (laughs) you know, and I want to see what the consequence, you know, I want to see her kick ass because you know, it's coming.
1: Yeah. I I think that was, that was something that, uh, you know, at first I was kind of like, I don't know this is like, I I didn't really want to bring that, um, that interaction with the Red King into it yet that was supposed to be like still very mysterious and, and mm-hmm. down the road. And I was kind of like not sure about, about showing so much of high level at the end of it, but it, what it boiled down to um, with, the, with those, those extra scenes where it was able to kind of communicate what this meant 13 going forward and that this was actually the beginning of her story mm-hmm. that ended up working out really well and i'm yeah. and i'm very
0: happy we we gave it the ending that we did now has this whole experience soured you on on comics would you do i mean do you have ideas for for other stories would you do uh another comic oh no i mean i love comics and uh, i it's
1: it's soured me on giant media companies but that's nothing new <laughs> right <laughs> I've been, been soured on them for a long time um You know, but um, I've got my original plan when the graphic novel was coming out at the beginning of 2020 and I knew that um, high level would be at the minimum on a extended hiatus. I was uh, putting ideas together to start new pitches at, um, you know, at other labels Mm -hmm. uh, and start new comic projects. And then the pandemic hit and everything changed everything turned upside down and i kind of ended up going down this unexpected route of starting a clothing company um at the beginning of the pandemic and it turned into a, a kind of an amazing little lifeline uh, mm-hmm. through that whole year and last year and i've got very involved with that so now that um you know, now that it's been a minute, I've got all these pitch ideas kind of floating around. So it's time for me to formalize those and and make
0: a return to writing comics because uh, I really, really love doing it. Fantastic. Well, uh we'll have to have you back on when it's time to uh, to spotlight your next project. Be happy to help signal boost that for you.
1: For sure, and uh and it's it's great to it's great to talk about uh, high level, and and it's probably a a good reminder for me to remind some of my audience that the, that the book is out there because um you know, you, you tend to kind of move on into new stuff and then you, you think, Oh, everyone's read it already. And then you realize, you know, the way social media works, a lot of people who are fans of my work don't even know I did a comic. So right. <laughs> it's, it's good to talk about it again and, and get excited about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, lo- love to, to have, new readers come on and, and, you know, talk about it on social media and put, I mean, that, that's the way uh, it'll help get made into an, uh, you know, another media property, you know, if, like you were saying, these big, big corporate conglomerates, all they care about is the bottom line. So there's enough noise on social media. You know, that's how it's, we're going to see the second half of the story. That's how we're going to get it in, in other media. So yeah, I always want to be bringing in new readers and even beyond that, Rob, this is a comic that needs to be read for the other reasons we talked about, about bringing new readers into comics, because this is one of those projects that shows the power of the medium and shows what sequential storytelling can, can do. And it's so new reader friendly, you know, like it's, it's hard for somebody to jump on a Spider-Man or Batman or Superman decades of continuity. I don't know where to start. All you got to do to read high level is pick up the high level graphic novel, you know, pick up the trade paperback and that's it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And now, uh, now the soundtrack uh, is on, it's on streaming services. Now you can pull it up on Spotify and Apple music. So, if you are a new reader, it's super easy to access the the soundtrack, and and it it's designed to be played as you read. So it's it's a very cool kind of new
0: media way to uh, to dig into the story. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because more and more uh, creators are doing that. You were, you know, kind of on on the leading edge of that uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, well, it's been great chatting with you, Rob. Obviously, we're, we're big fans. Can't wait for the second half of, of High Level when it when it happens. Um, as we're winding down here, any any other projects? Anything you want to share um, with our listeners?
1: Um. Well, like I said, I've been uh, super involved in this uh, making clothing uh, the past couple of years, which has been a blast. We've we did um, face masks uh, all through 2020 that that were supporting charity and and they were hugely popular, and that was that was just a ton of fun. If you go to glitchgoods.com, there's there's all kinds of T-shirts and, and other cool stuff that I've designed and uh, a whole line of high-level merch uh, as well is on there, and um, that's been uh, that's kind of been my big project recently. And now I'm been getting back into some new art projects and writing some uh, new pitches and also having a baby this year. So that's kind oh, of, wow. kind of turn everything upside down again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks. So so yeah, a lot lots going on with with me and. Uh, all all good exciting stuff and i i, I can't wait for high level to become part of
0: my plate of projects again cool well i'll put a link to uh dot uh, in the show notes everybody can go click there uh if you want to go check out the merch uh and then where's the best place to to follow you online because i imagine when some of these uh projects get get kicked off whether it's um you know multimedia back into the music side of things or uh or more comic stuff You'll be letting your fan base know. So, if anybody doesn't follow you, where's the best place to follow on social media? Sure, um, I'm at rob underscore sheridan on uh,
1: Instagram and Twitter, and uh, I'm just just rob sheridan,
0: uh, all one word on uh, Facebook. Okay, great. And I'll put links to um, the Twitter and the Instagram in the show notes as well, everybody. So. Uh, again, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, Rob. Uh, look forward to more comic work uh, in the future because, man, I, I really think you, you you knocked it out of the park with this first project, you know? And uh, I, I'm definitely a fan. I'm going to pick up anything you do in the world of comics. So um, hopefully we, we get more well, of Rob Sheridan uh, written works in the future. Well, thank you. That That is definitely the plan. Uh, this this uh,
1: global pandemic really, really, toss things around but right. um it, it's now time now time to reach into all these other ideas that, that have been brewing and, and get some more going so can't wait to show you
0: fantastic great to hear uh well that's going to do it for this episode everybody we hope you enjoyed uh our talk about high level with uh, with rob be sure you go and give him a follow on social media go check out the merch uh, and definitely pick up high level and read it. it gets my highest possible recommendation so we appreciate your support and for listening as always and we will talk to you next time